Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. And here are the Sixers in no particular hurry. Our first ever back on the podcast. Congratulations. Tremendous, wow. tremendous honor. <laughs> I, I, I didn't know that that was a, a first, and I'm, I'm so honored. And like, I, I, I want to thank everyone for making this possible. It, it, it's because they haven't kicked me off yet. So this is, you know, just a massive triumph for everyone involved. I Look, guess. if you want, if you want to take credit for it, fine. <laughs> you know, like I, that's totally, that's totally a reasonable position. I'm going to take credit for it as well. So I think both of us deserve a lot of acclaim. And so, have you been watching HBO lately? I was recently elected mayor of of East Town. Is that is that the metaphor? Is it the mayor of East Town? Because if you say, yeah, I think it quickly, that's yeah, I think that's the joke, right? Like that she's the mayor of East Town, but not the mayor, but kind of the mayor, or she's like a horse, also. <laughs> she 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 could be either, and but you're into it, right? You've been tweeting about it a little bit. I think it's good. It reminds me of every Scandinavian child murder mystery comedy that's very dark with a tortured police officer detective. Do you keep and up on those Scandinavian? They just keep funneling them to me. Like I can't escape them. Any Anywhere I watch movies now, I'm just getting a steady diet of, of Scandinavian child murder. It's great. Does, does somebody text you from like Switzerland or... I just buy Siggy's yogurt and <laughs> you know, under the lid, you'll find a, a child eight, eight murder protein, mystery. protein, no sugar. <laughs> <laughs> for, for those listening, we, we play hoops with Siggy who, who has sort of invented that. Um, what is His he? product like? is called Siggy's. Yeah. What is he? Six, eight. My brother was like, I just can't mm-hmm. card Siggy. I don't know why they asked me to, because I'm the tallest one. <laughs> he has a six foot eight icelandic yogurt baron that's a, you know there's one of him <laughs> yeah he's the only guy do you have any theories on what what's going on here you know i don't want to give any spoilers here but i will say i was expecting the hero to be freddie and i thought he was a man who had a redemption arc and a handgun and he was gonna come in at the last second and be a savior that's not gonna happen yeah, it, it, you wondered about all of those characters they introduced. I had a good friend who who recommended I watch it in the first place, and he texted me, and I was like, "What do you think?" And he was like, "Um, if Freddie comes full circle, I'm just gonna like pop the champagne. He's my favorite character." <laughs> no, I, I, I was so set up for like the Freddie heroism, and nope. But uh, yeah, I I, I think you know. 
I think we kind of know what's going to happen in the final episode. They've really narrowed it down so far. Is there only one left? There is one episode left. Oh. And at the ending of the one that aired last Sunday, they seem to kind of uh, bring things together. So there's only a few suspects left kind of from the same group. So I don't want to talk too much about that out of those specific guys. But uh, yeah, I, I, I would have watched another 10 episodes of this. Like, I don't really care who did it. It's more like, let me just see Mare maring around. She's a terrible cop. Just an awful, awful cop. But good cops don't make good TV. And we want to see Mare maring around. <laughs> what do you think? Do you have any sense of whether or not the accents are dead on? Do you, do you, you know, know who's I, done well or not well? I, I, You know what? I don't have that kind of you know local knowledge of, I guess, the, the area of Easttown. So... I feel like the feedback is that it's pretty authentic and they've done a pretty decent job. I was really shocked by the fact that um, the young actress with the reddish hair who really seems to inhabit that role was French. That like blew my mind. So, you know, Wait, all credit who to was her. This? Who, was, who was red hair? The, the girlfriend of the teenager, the girl who had initially beat up the dead girl. Oh, okay. Is that right? Huh. Yeah, she's French. I, good job. I, I, yeah. I believed it. Great job by her. I, I had a buddy who texted me, you know what? I had this like distant memory of my mother who's from Germantown, P, he wrote Germantown P, um, calling me a smacked ass. <laughs> and, and they use that phrase a few times. So I guess, I guess a couple of people listening will be like, you know what? My mom called me a smacked ass. Let's go. I, I do like when shows kind of buy into a local community. And I think Fargo, you know, sort of introduced people to North Dakota or South Dakota, where Fargo is, um, you know, doing the same thing with the Southwest and Breaking Bad. And I think setting a show here in, you know, the outskirts of Philadelphia, it's cool because it becomes unique and it becomes an, an interesting setting when you actually try to make it a little more authentic. And then it introduces people from outside of that world to some of the like localities. So as someone who grew up in Rochester, I'm looking forward to like a film or a series about child murders. That's based on like garbage plates and the Rochester Red Wings. <laughs> are you, are you, um, my, my basketball teammates on my intramural team in college were all from Rochester. We, we called ourselves the RC three. Um, great name, great, great, great town. <laughs> are you? And they have really good roles. Are you a fan of Noah Hawley in general? I think he turned the movie into a, a TV show. I'm, I'm sorry, of of who you said? Noah Hawley. I guess he's the one who writes Fargo as on um, FX. Oh, I I don't even I know his work. I just remember watching the movie of Fargo, and I I do like the series, but I haven't watched. I haven't kept up with it since the first couple seasons when I think it was a little more Coen Brothersy. Yes, yes. But, All right, uh, anyone who's tuning respect. in has has endured this what, five, six minutes of our TV show fantasies. That's great banter, though. This is tremendous banter. Let's talk about the Sixers. They're up one zip. What are your thoughts? I know that you have some counterculture beliefs at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I thought game one was about as sixery as a Sixers game can get. You really distilled like the whole season and, and the team and what's annoying about the team and what's good about it into a nice tidy 48 minutes. 
You know, we had Simmons being a lousy scorer, but kind of dominating the game in a lot of other ways for 38 minutes. You had Embiid getting buckets. You had Tobias getting buckets, but also in a way that was like mildly irritating to me, especially in the fourth quarter when he went one of seven and was kind of aggressively chucking. You had Thibel not being played enough. You had ineffective Simmons Howard minutes. Like it was, it was, it was, it was the full season, like in a nutshell. Like well done, everyone. So you were not surprised to see the rotation and the usage. No, I, I was unpleasantly unsurprised by some of the rotations and the you know underuse of Matisse Thibel, which is just to me an ongoing mystery yeah you recently wrote a piece that was one of my favorites for cookies hoops is the Sixers offense good enough to win the title did the concerns that you voiced in that piece come to fruition in in that win (laughs) I mean hell yeah except fortunately the Wizards are a underwhelming opponent you know specifically a team that you know was ranked 19th in defense, so I I think they scored fine in that game. But some of those those issues were there, uh, particularly I think the Howard and, and Simmons minutes. At, at this point, I'm not sure if there's any way to dissuade Doc from doing it. You know, we have a season's worth of evidence that shows those lineups aren't good, and they aren't good on offense, and they aren't good on defense. Even if there was an idea that theoretically they were good defensively. They aren't. And when people talk about Philly's transition defense, their transition defense is totally fine when it's the starting lineup. It's the Simmons Howard minutes where the transitions defense sucks. It's terrible. Is that true? It's like in the huh. yeah, it's like in like the zeroth percentile or like third percentile or fifth percentile. It's terrible. But normally their transition defense is fine. Everyone's there talking about it constantly. Look look at the numbers. The transition defense is completely fine when it's the starting group or when Ben and Joe are on the court. Totally fine. So, But this is so weird to me. Do you think like this, the Sixers have missed their analytics? Is he not suggesting all of this stuff that you're saying to Doc Rivers? I don't know. And, you know, maybe when push comes to shove, when it's like, here it is, game seven, you know, fourth quarter against the Nets. Okay, we won't do Howard Simmons minutes. Maybe you know, <laughs> maybe it's just odd to me that they're still trying it. You know, you looked at Game One when the Sixers had Ben and Joe on the court for I think a collective like thirty minutes. They outscored the Wizards by twenty four points. They, they annihilated them. And then in the minutes where Joe was off and and Howard was on because he ate up all the backup minutes, they were they were down thirteen in those minutes. Like the only reason the game was close was because they trotted out, you know, lineups that have proven not to work. I don't, I don't, I don't know that this is even like an argument within the Sixers building. Everybody knows it. Like to your, to your question, I think, I think of course people know these numbers. People know that Ben and and Dwight don't work well together. It's been discussed plenty of times by the media. You wrote a, a nice article, I thought, that had a lot of good numbers in it about this very topic, where it was like, Doc concedes that Ben and, and, and Dwight don't play well together. And then they ran it out for 10 minutes yesterday, so um, or two days ago. So um, I don't really have a <laughs> – I think it's a known thing. 
Yeah, when I, when I wrote that piece, I appreciate it. Uh, it was like, you know, Doc was saying basically he doesn't work well with Ben. We're going to put him in the bench unit. We're going to continue to use him in the bench unit. And I thought like, okay, they'll stagger. And maybe they did in those games where Joel Embiid was hurt, but they didn't continue to. And seeing it as soon as Joel got in foul trouble was kind of weird because um, it's almost like the NFL equivalent of like, okay, Joel is on the bench. We're going to run it up the middle and then punt. (laughs) We're not going to try to score. We're not going to throw the ball. We're just not going to turn it over. I guess, yes. To me, I'm like, what do you what do you want from these minutes? Are you just like, all right, hopefully we get away with it? Like, you're not looking for good results. Like, I don't even know what the the potential is there. We have the numbers. The defense is worse when Ben is out there with Dwight than if Ben is out there with Mike Scott at center. The defense is worse. Like, what what do you what do you want from these minutes? You know the so offense isn't going to be good. You know the defense isn't good. Like, what what's the expectation when you say run them out there? I don't I don't know what they even are hoping to get out of that pairing. You know, to me, it's like you can run Dwight out there with Tobias and Hill and some guards and some bench players and Furkan and Thibel. Those have proven to play really good defense over the course of the season. They have pretty shitty offense, but overall, decent net rating, you know, based on being a really good defensive unit. That's that's playable. That they have, we have numbers that show that those those lineups, those units are are good enough to play in the postseason. Like let them rock. I, I have my own doubts about their offensive viability, but at least the numbers show that they are playable. We also know that when Simmons is out there with kind of a small ball unit, they're playable. That is a playable lineup. They 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 are fine. We know that Ben and Dwight are terrible together as a pairing for a multitude of reasons. <laughs> we know that they have a negative 10 net rating for the season. We know this. These are all, these things are, are facts. Like, I just don't get why you'd, you'd use stuff that you know is bad and not use lineups that we know are better. Like, you know, this is, is not an anti-Dwight s- rant, by the way. It's it's an is anti-Dwight rant. Is some chance that, that, like, we're simply not privy <laughs> to a narrative that's coming towards us, you know, plebeians, where it's going to be like the the starting unit is so good that it's worth losing these bench lineups. But I mean, you could still lose the bench lineups. <laughs> like there's a, there's many ways to lose the bench lineups. I don't know why they're using this specific method. Like even if you just said, "All right, we're going to just lock the whole starting unit together," which I would not necessarily do. I just don't think you can play two non-shooting bigs in, in the current NBA unless one of them is like Zion Williamson. Like they don't or, do it. With, they don't do it with anybody else. But they don't. I'm saying they don't even do it with the Bucks. You know, yeah. Giannis yeah. doesn't step on the court in the last three years, other than maybe a few Robin Lopez minutes without a big who can shoot. Just, they just don't do it ever, ever. So I, I mean, I, I was very disappointed that the Sixers did not pick up a, a stretch five, you know, at any, like a Mike Muscala or I don't know, Kaminsky, whoever, just, just a big white doofus at some point. <laughs> I, I assumed one would be arriving and then you it, it never did. <laughs> I mean, a Luke Cornett, perhaps maybe just, just, it's just an idea. There were, there was plenty of names. I mean, even some of like off the street 
in Dwayne Dedman that you wondered, mm-hmm. did they want that guy? Yeah, um, I mean, you're right. I mean, Dedman was out there, and so was uh, Bijalitsa. There were there were there were options to be had. Yeah. You wrote, yeah, in the 268 minutes that starting group has shared the floor since the all-star intermission, the Sixers have posted an offensive rating of 114.1. The unit's net rating remains fantastic due to spectacular defense, but the scoring hiccup dovetails with the eye test. In half-court sets, Simmons spends more time rotting in the dunker spot, and Embiid is hovering more around the perimeter as a consequence. Dot, dot, dot. Do you think that that has sort of continued in the second half of the year? I mean, I didn't think it was an issue in the first half at all. I thought the Sixers offense, you know, out the gate was popping. And, you know, Simmons, I thought was rusty. But once he started getting in gear at that stretch of of 15 games, I mean, it it was they were tearing it up that, that starting lineup. And it was exactly what we wanted. It looked like the court was three times bigger. In last season, you had Joe in the post, kind of almost toying with defenses about whether they should double or not. And he was passing it off to, you know, first man out was usually Green or Curry. You had Tobias taking more threes. You had Ben scoring more. And, you know, especially like ISO taking guys from the top of the key. I thought the offense looked wonderful. And I think the problem started when Joe went out and the Sixers kept trying to play Ben next to a non-shooting big, whether it was Tony Bradley or Dwight Howard, and them like mutating the offense to basically have Ben in the post and then running high screens with a ball hander like Shake or Tobias and another non-shooting big. And they've kind of just kept that offense since then. And I think it's probably closer to what Doc Rivers likes, which is pick and rolls and sort of a normie like Shake or, or Tobias or George Hill, you know, a you know, conceptual three-level scorer on the ball. And, and I think they've paid the price for that. It, the offense doesn't look as good. When you are trying to force the ball into Tobias in the post and you have Joe, you know, at, out by the three-point line and you have Ben in the in the post, this court just gets a lot smaller. You don't have help defenders peeling off of your shooters. You don't have the defense rotating. The help is always going to come from Joe. And your base, your best case scenario is either a Tobias ISO or a Joe three that he kind of doesn't want to take. I feel like we've seen a lot more of that in the second half than, than we did in the first. Doc has received so much credit for being Tobias whisperer. <laughs> you use the phrase sweet nothings in your post, which I laughed at. And a, you know, like he deserved full credit for bringing Joel from like, amazing all NBA to potentially MVP. Do you think that that has come at the cost of Ben Simmons? Um, I think, I think Tobias could put up exactly the numbers he's putting up, you know, in different ways. And I think one of the things that he's done that has been so impressive is that he succeeded at being a, an above average scorer at a, you know, fairly high volume in, in a multitude of roles going from, being a spot-up shooter and a slasher, being a pick-and-roll ball handler, um, in transition, posting up. Tobias has done a magnificent job at consistently scoring well, no matter what has been asked of him. But I think Ben needs Tobias to be off-ball more. He needs Tobias to spot up more and take more threes. And as I I mentioned in that that story, Tobias went from over, I think, like something like three-and-a-half 
uh, spot up threes, catch and shoot in the first half to like 1.5 in the second. And those indicators, when you take a guy who's as good of a spot up shooter as he is, something like 43%, 44%, and all of a sudden he's taking less and becoming more of a pick and roll ball handler, those to me have negative negative consequences. And I think Simmons is a casualty of of like lack of opportunity for for you know any other reason that he struggled. I don't think it's confidence. I don't think it's wanting it enough, needing it more, being aggressive. I just don't think the offense focuses on him like it did in the first half or it did last year or the year before that or the year before that or for his entire life. Yeah, it, it feels to me like if they were to trade Ben Simmons to a crummy team, they would at least know some stuff to do to make him look like a star and get people to watch on TV. And I'm not sure that the Sixers are always doing that. Is it, Does it ever feel to you like even now with maybe like a top five director of basketball operations that the Sixers are just not tapping that for some reason? Oh, they definitely aren't. He's, he's absolutely being underused. Uh, there's no question in my mind that if you put him in a situation where the team was really focusing on him, you know, that he would be a perennial MVP candidate. Like there's no, there's no question. I mean, he's the best defensive player in the NBA. He's a top five distributor. We know that he can average 20 a game over a long span. Like he did over parts of these two seasons combined for like 40 games. And I, you know, I'm not saying that is the MVP, but you know, the best defender, elite distributor, a good scorer, like that that guy's always going to be in the conversation. So, no, they're not using him correctly on offense at all. You know, we watched the, the Utah game. How good game. do you think Ben is? <laughs> um, I mean, I think he was we know he was all NBA last season. I think last year he was probably due to injuries to guys like KD or Kyrie or Curry, he was like back end of the top 10 probably. You know, he's he's to me I think it's clear that Joel was the team's best player this year in terms of performance, but I put them on pretty much the same tier in terms of like their impact on the game. And, you know, one of them is being catered to one of them is um, playing in lineups that feature him offensively. And as, as they should, Joe is an amazing half court scorer, but you know, they don't have that Horford backup, you know, some, there's some, there's some wild stuff last year, man. Like when you look at, like half court lineups with like Simmons and Horford. They were great. And we keep talking about him not being a good half court creator. You just got to put the right personnel around him. Um, but I, I think, you know, the Sixers have these guys who are, they have such an impact on winning games. And, you know, like I'm a homer here, but I don't look at Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and say, these guys have an oversized impact on making a team good. I think they're good players. I think they're solid. Joe and Ben, you put them on the court together every year. You can pencil in for like 50 wins and you will have a outside chance at a title, depending on who surrounds them. Like they are really, really unique. I mean, to me, there's not a chance in the world that they trade Ben Simmons. Like it could have been for James Harden, but I don't, I don't see, I don't see it. You know, Daryl Morey knows how good he is. If we were to watch the playoffs and they were to get bounced I mean, obviously, it, this could happen to the Wizards or the Hawks at the time we're recording this. But if they were to lose even against someone as good as Brooklyn or Milwaukee, and they were to continue on the approach that you've sort of r- written that they should not continue, 
where Ben, I don't know how you would describe this composition. He brings it up, he hands it <laughs> off, and he hides in the dunker spot. It, it's so weird. It's so weird. He Is brings it up as if he's about he to run the offense. Out? And then immediately just goes over and does a like a dribble handoff to Tobias or or Curry. It's so weird. If you think he's that good, and if you were him and you would be confident enough to think you were that good, is there any chance he says, just get me the hell out of here if you're going to continue to use me this way? I mean, maybe, or he, he could just be more vocal about how he wants to be used in Philly, right? Like See, it's I certainly wonder about possible. that too, because he's not like flailing his arms and saying like move to, to players. Like I agree. And and it's weird because maybe he's just really bought in. He's like, if this is what you guys want me to do, I'll do it. Cool. But I agree. Like if I was him and I'm bringing it up and handing it off to a guy who's not a good passer or ball handler of a possession, I'd be like, all right, all right, spread the court. Let me just ISO my man. Because you'll see him being guarded by guys who have no chance in hell of guarding him one-on-one and staying in front of him if he drives to the basket. And he said, there's no one in the NBA that can guard me one-on-one. I mean, he said that like this season, you know, in, in some interview, I think it was with GQ. He's like, yeah, no one can guard me off the ball. And yet the Sixers just don't have him do it. It's very weird. Yeah. You pointed this out on Twitter and I started watching, like literally watched like every shot he took this year. And my big takeaway was, there was a stretch of games where he got to get even in the half court, which he gets criticized for and often fairly, he got to get the ball and attack downhill against a center. And there's really no center in the game who can move his hips with Ben. Like we've seen him just toast Gobert. We've seen him toast Davis. So if you, but the Sixers don't appear to target getting him those that type of matchup just not you know the, the most painful version of that for me was like watching the spurs where he was just a guy yeah man i think putting him in the post and using him like a traditional like doc rivers four right a trez or a big baby or a brandon bass like that's not who he is he's not a great post-up player he's you know he has his little baby hook you know, I, you know he, that that's just not what he's best at, and I agree. You know what we saw against Utah, where he basically just hung forty two on you know the the fraudulent defensive player of the year candidate. <laughs> like you're just like, well, he can do this whenever. And we saw him doing that before he got hurt last season when Joe was out, and they had Horford kind of as the trailing big, where Simmons would just you know rumble into the lane, get to the basket, get fouled, and if the defense collapsed, he would just turn around and flip it back out to Al or, or one of the other shooters. And, you know, those, those lineups last year, I mean, it's quite, it's, it's like with Simmons and Horford, we're, we're quite good, you know, offensively. Yeah. If Daryl Morey wasn't here, I would be so overly confident in our opinions right now. What do you, <laughs> what do you think he would push back against us and say? I mean, if you look at what he said, which you cited in your article and I did as well, he has openly advocated for small ball units with Simmons at center. And even the vocabulary is strange where like, well, Mike Scott at center, but Mike Scott is six foot eight, (laughs) six foot seven. And like Simmons is three inches taller and 50 pounds more. Like why is Mike Scott the quote center and Simmons not? I, 
it's just odd to me that that's like a viable solution is Mike Scott center, but not Ben Simmons I'd, or not Tobias Harris. I, I don't understand the reluctance to make the opponent adapt, right? Okay. Alex Len is out there. All right. Do you think the wizards are going to keep Alex Len on the court guarding Ben Simmons? No, no, they'll just go small too. Like I, they did it at times. I, they put Bert, Bertans at the five, I think. Yeah, I don't. I don't understand um, why Philly doesn't kind of enforce its will on teams more, especially you know with that kind of lineup, or even putting Simmons, Embiid, Thibel, Green on the court. You know, those are four of the most disruptive, best defenders in the NBA. You know, I know Green's Green's not on the same level as the other three, but he's still like among what the top 15, 20 in, in steals and, and deflections. Like that lineup, I don't see how anyone in the league scores against it ever. What's your, what are a couple of your optimal lineups for the playoffs? I mean, I love that group that I just mentioned and then throwing like a Cork Maz or a Hill into the mix. You know, a, a, another ball handler or another, you know, Cork high Maz, level shooter. Or Hill, Green, Ben, Harris. No Harris. No Harris. Matisse. I, 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 like, I like Harris, but I think the Sixers still get Ben, Joe, and three James Ennises. That, that's, that's my goal. And, and you'll beat the brakes off anyone. I remember you tweeted that <laughs> <laughs> a couple of years ago. But, I mean, now I'm like, I can be specific instead of it being three James Ennises. I, I look, I think it's weird that to lineups with Ben and Joe are better than lineups with Ben, Joe, and Tobias. And that's not a knock on Toby. It's that the more possessions get funneled into the hands of Ben and Joe, and there's more three-point shooters around them, the better the offense gets. The the reductive takeaway from that would be, is it possible? Is there any way that after scoring 37 points, 38 points, that they'd be better <laughs> bringing him off the bench? <laughs> I, I don't think they're better necessarily with him off the bench, but you know the, the increased emphasis on Tobias does have a downside. And with all due credit to the variety of ways that he scored, I thought he was best employed as a you know guy who spot up three point shooter slasher gets out and runs in transition. I don't like him as a ball handler. Um, I do not like him running pick and rolls. I don't particularly like him in the post because I think it screws with the, the spacing otherwise. And Philly is doing so much more of that. You, know, you look at like his dribbles per game, his time of possession. They've all really mushroomed I think in some ways in the second half because he's being used differently and I, I liked what he was doing earlier in the season more than what he's doing now we kind of collectively agreed after last season right like all right Toby simple it simple stuff like quick decisions catch the ball shoot it no more dribbling and now we're back to like reverse engineering you know the nostalgia for the 2026ers who who drew the the picture of Joel Embiid in your last article? It's beautiful, by the way. Oh, um, the art in that was by Andrew Quo, who was um, a brilliant artist. Andrew, yeah, he, did, he, he did the Ben portrait and the Joe portrait. Tremendous, tremendous job. It's great. It looks tremendous. I love the colors. Um, Andrew, is, Andrew is a magician. He's, he's, he's fantastic. He's a magician. I saw on his Twitter that uh, Pablo Torre and, and who was it? Who else visited his art show? Oh, uh, Jacoby. Yes, yes. Yep. Yes, a, cu- a couple of very, very popular ESPN folks, I think. Uh, great, great dudes and clearly have excellent taste in art. <laughs> All right, here's what, here's what you wrote. 
Yet, in the 268 minutes the starting group has shared the floor since the All-Star intermission, the Sixers have posted an offensive rating of 114.1. The unit's net rating remains fantastic due to spectacular defense, but the scoring hiccup <laughs> you, you know you read this part before, offense. right? <laughs> you read, oh, you read I... this exact sentence earlier, yeah. Oh, so this should tell you, like, I, I just can't stop obsessing about this part. And it's like, <laughs> are, are they, like, I guess it makes me pull my hair out. Is it possible they're just leaving, like, tons of money on the table? I mean, I think it is definitely possible. And my biggest issue with Philly this whole year has just been the cautiousness of lineup composition. You know, not going small with, with Simmons at the center, not splitting up Ben and Joe more and, and, you know, seeing which lineups work. And I think the the main downside of that is that Philly does not have a non-Embiid group that has proven to score capably. And I think they surely could. I think you look at the personnel, you look at who Daryl Morey added in terms of guys who are fantastic spot-up shooters – to surround Simmons with, there is no reason they don't have the personnel to have high-level non-Embiid lineups. They should, but they don't. And that's what bugs me because I think there will come moments when they'll need that group and they're still going to trot out Howard and Simmons and basically throw good money after bad. I just, I don't like the fact that they can't really score unless Joe is on the floor. And you see like a little quirk. He gets a couple bad calls, you know, they don't challenge one of them. And all of a sudden Joe is out of the game. And, you know, if that happens against a better team than the wizards, they lose just because Joe got a tic-tac foul. I don't think you can allow a variable, like a bad call to just completely upend and basically like cost you a playoff game in a seven game series. And that could have happened if they were playing like the bucks or they're playing, um, the Heat, or they're playing any team that's better than the Wizards because that game got close. The Wizards weren't in it, you know. And I think it was totally a consequence of that. They did not have good non embed minutes to put on the floor. Or lineups. Yeah, so like, me. if you note, if you noted that the lineups with Tobias Harris along with Joel and Ben are not maybe what we expected in your post. I mean, you wrote. Lineups with Embiid, Simmons, and Harris have been wonderful, registering a net rating of 15.2 in 1,900-plus possessions. Surprisingly enough, when Harris is removed from the trio, the numbers get even better. Is it possible that like he would be this perfect buttress for those non-Joel, non-Ben lineups, and it's not happening right now? I think they've done pretty well with with Howard and, and, and Tobias out there. Um and, and I think that's a good way of, of viewing it. But the reality is that, you know, Ben Simmons is going to play 38, 40 minutes. He's just too valuable. They don't have another good passer. They don't have another guy who can, um, who they're willing to play that many minutes, who's as good a defender as he is. So, like, he's just going to play 40 minutes. And there's going to be times when Joe gets in foul trouble or Joe is tired or, or whatever the case, where they are not going to be locked in together. And those minutes might matter. You know, they lost to the Raptors, not because Ben didn't score well, not because Joe had like a shitty, like, you know, six game, seven game series against Mark Gasol, who was a great defender. They lost because they didn't have a playable backup center. Sixers starters annihilated the Raptors in that series. That's not the narrative, 
but that's what happened. You go back and you look at the numbers. Sixers smoked the Raptors with their with their starters. They lost because guys like Greg Monroe came in and you know posted like a negative ten in a hundred seconds. Like that's why they lost that series. They lost that series because they did not have a backup center who could play next to Ben Simmons, and they have the same issue right now. And I'm like, this is going to be really infuriating if Ben is on the court with Dwight Howard and they lose a game because of it. Like that should not be happening because it happened two years ago. Support for this episode comes from Viator. Sure, a good souvenir is always fun, but it's the experiences that people love the most about traveling. When you get back home, that t-shirt might fade and that snow globe might break, but it's those once in a lifetime memories that will last. Viator is a website and app where you can book travel experiences like architectural sightseeing, snorkeling excursions, sunset cruises, and so much more. With Viator, you can reserve everything from simple tours to thrilling adventures with over 300,000 bookable experiences in 190 countries. Whether you're a foodie, a history buff, or an adrenaline junkie, there's something for everyone. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you can have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. When you book a travel experience with Viator, there's always flexibility and support with free cancellation, payment options, and 24-7 service. Make memories that will last forever with Viator. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. So if you were suddenly employed by the team, would they, uh, what would like your first, a few recommendations be? I I just think you just got to let it rip. I think I would split up Joe and Ben, make sure one of them is always on the court. I would not play Dwight Howard. And like, that's not even a, insult towards white he just can't play with either of the sixers two best players and they one of them has to be on the court all the time like so no no Dwight at all in the playoff rotation no and unless unless you had to take them both out at some point due to foul trouble or injury or something then 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 sure but what do you say to the fans who say he's been joyfully gleeful Doofully, <laughs> what did you he's write? Been, he's been fun. He's, he's had some cool dunks and some blocks. He's, he's a good character. He he likes getting milkshakes. He, he's I, look. I like Dwight. It's not personal, <laughs> you know. It's like, but he's he the best backup milkshakes. center they've ever had. I'm like, I disagree, <laughs> but but like, sure. But he just can't play with Ben and Joe, and they are not. 35 year old backup centers they are the pillars of the franchise like dwight you're the odd man out sorry and what and how would you run it would you just put in like matisse for him and go super small put in matisse for him i put in i put in tolliver like tolliver looks fine (laughs) you know i'd put in Corkmaz. i just i don't think having a front line of tobias and ben is particularly small and i think that it also creates real matchup problems on the other side. Like, I, if you had a traditional center, would you put them on the court against lineups with nothing but shooters and Simmons? No, you'd take them off the floor. I, I'm confused because I, I saw it going into the year, and I understood it completely when they were playing Cleveland. Um, and I just don't really understand it when they're playing in the playoffs. 
because it just feels like the kind of thing they knew for several years now. Like, don't you think there's this like 96 year old person who works in the building who could walk by doc and be like, you know that. <laughs> I mean, I think I have, I have no, I, well, I have no, I have no speculation here at all about like how these players came to the Sixers. Right. I don't know. I mean, we know that Daryl Morey has made trades and added players. Absolutely. We don't know that he said, let's get Dwight. That might've been doc. And I'm, I'm not blaming anyone. I'm just saying, it's hard to know what the grand plan is when Dwight was like, hey, I'm not going back to the Lakers and the Sixers pounced on it. Maybe that was Dwight being recruited by Doc. I don't I, I don't know. And we know that Daryl Morey took some trades to Doc and he said, Doc was like, nah, let's not do that. We don't know what those trades were. So, um, I, you know, I, there's no credit or blame being assigned to anyone. I, I do think it, at this point, it is such a known fact Ben and Dwight don't work well together, that it's either just at, that it's just like an emotional, <laughs> like it's an emotional idea. It's theoretical that it might work at some point. Everyone knows it doesn't work. You know, whether you're a Ben Simmons admirer or a Ben Simmons hater, and you or you think Dwight Howard rules and is the best backup center of all time, whatever your agenda, we still know that those minutes don't work. This like literally hurts me because I've I've been a Dwight fan for a, a long time and I was defending him. You know, like a lot of people turned on him. Dwight stinks. And so I want to continue to go that route. But instead, I'm like, ah, oh, you can't play him. Um, right. You, I mean, I think you, you just have to look at it. You know, if he's on the Bucks, like, do you play Dwight next to Brooke Lopez? Like, no, that doesn't work. Can he I mean, do the Robin Lopez hook shot? <laughs> it's pretty cool looking i gotta say <laughs> it's, it's so old school um but you know you can dwight play next to Giannis? you're like no and like that's no that's no disrespect to dwight <laughs> you know dwight couldn't play with Giannis. it would not work no so all right let's let's grant them the benefit of the doubt and say look they got the one seed coach of the year candidate mm-hmm. they they're gonna rumble through and they're gonna host either the bucks or the nets um, in that type of instance, is it, is it possible that you're going to want, like wind up feeling foolish? Like, <laughs> Oh, I, I should have came around to doc's way. I mean, I'm always at risk of being feeling <laughs> foolish. No, no question. I, I think there is a reasonable chance that the Sixers have all these flaws and, and do some, some things that I find, um, kind of inexplicable and stubborn and still win a title. And people can say, you idiot, you fool. How dare you bring up these points? <laughs> I'm like, sure, that'll be cool. I hope they I hope they win a title. I just think it would be easier to win a title, even if incrementally with a few changes here and there. Like, look, when, when Brett Brown got fired, who I, I think he's a, an excellent coach, I think he got a broad deal. Um, and I think... Doc has done a good job as well. But when Doc got hired, I'm like, there's a very reasonable chance that with, you know, better health, some personnel changes and the spacing, that this team just rolls and wins significantly more games. And it's going to be like Brett Brown over there, like, ah, we got rid of this idiot. Now we're rolling. I'm like, it's just how things happen, man. So yes, there's every chance of me acting, you know, 
feeling like a fool. Sure. <laughs> I, I, I hope so. I hope that happens. Right. I, I'm tempted to reread again the same sentence that I keep reading about 268 <laughs> minutes. Do, <laughs> so do you think, is it possible that there is a team left in the playoffs now who has a legitimate title chance, who is as, is this a word, underutilizing one of their very best players like the Sixers are? Like the Sixers oh, no. do, do things to accommodate Tobias. They do things to accommodate Joel. But I'm not sure that they do things to just all out accommodate Ben, right? No, and I, I I think it's it's interesting that Doc clearly believes Ben is a great player, and you know defends him against like the howling masses of of angry Sixers fans. He's just like a lot. he's like he's like yo look at all like look casuals this guy's a treasure you know Doc clearly. It's like Ben makes our, our engine go on offense. He's the best defensive player in the league. I mean, he's an admirer for sure. But it's weird that you could have those kind of feelings about a player and not say, also, why don't we just give you the ball and like go a little smaller here and let you just cook? So it, it's it's odd that he has him in such high esteem while not like really giving him too much of a, of a chance to shine. But again, you know, what I think the the upside here is that it just could, right? Like the stuff we're talking about. Go ahead. They could, they could just change it. <laughs> Offensively, in those at this at these times, what do you think that would look like? Is Ben posting? Is he driving? Is he? Oh yeah, yeah. Because one thing that's also vexed me, and I've been owned many times by Doc Rivers this season, is that they'll put the rare moments when they have Simmons at the five. They'll play him like a center still. I'm just like, no. <laughs> He's still down in the dunker spot, hosting up, playing like Brandon Bass. I'm like, no, 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 no. It's and so you close. Feel it's like so the close. Sample coming back to you, saying, hey, look at the sample. They suck at the five. <laughs> I'm like, no, you're using him as a post up big and not a playmaker and a spread floor. No. And then Doc owned me again, really bad when they ran a, a all small ball lineup with Ben off and Tobias acting as like a point center. I'm like, God damn you, doc. He crushed me with that one. It's a, it's a Ben and shooters lineup, but they put Ben as like Brandon Bass. Yes. <laughs> and it's like shake Milton dribbling around. I'm like, come on. It's right there for the taking. Right. Right. <laughs> so something happened. I don't know. Is it an injury? Like be, I, I until think March the- 3rd, he was just, crushing and it was so clear. it was it was like the Embiid injury i swear to god it was the Embiid injury i saw but it all what, unfolding what did that signal to them <laughs> it, it was the switch in the offense it became more tobias harris and, and seth curry um pick and rolls ball handling off of like like pistols action on the side and then ben you know trotting down to the dunker spot and just chilling out and they just kept doing it even when dwight came back you know you look at the sixers offense it doesn't, it doesn't, again, it just does not look like it did earlier in the season. And I think they can still get good results, especially against teams that have no good answer for Joe. You know, that's a team like Washington. That could potentially be a team like Brooklyn. Some teams just will not have an answer for him. He can overwhelm their front line, get them in foul trouble, and the Sixers offense will just kind of cruise because he's being such a, you know, a dominant force. But he couldn't really post up Clint Capella. And I think there's a reasonable chance they play the Hawks, you know, shout out to the Knicks, but you know, they're down, they're down, they're, they're down one game, you know? 
Um, but Clint Capella showed an ability to prevent Joe from, you know, marauding his way to the rim and uh, made I Joe do, settle for, fan, for jumpers. I, I, I do fear Clint more than Nerlens. Yeah, Nerlens is too light in the ass. Yeah. Nerlens Nur- Nur- is a god. We all know that. You know, he's walks amongst us mortals. But Should the Sixers have Nerlens? Did they screw that up? Uh, I mean, I, I always wanted to have Nerlens. I still don't think he's enough of a shooter to play with like Simmons, but he's at least a much better defender than Dwight. You know, I mean, Nerlens, Nerlens will probably be first team all defense. I mean, I think Nerlens saved their year against the Boston mm-hmm. Cannons, the G, the G League unit, <laughs> Boston, <laughs> tried to steal their season with, yeah. yeah. Um, but um, but no, I, I agree. I think I think Capella, his physical presence, his offensive rebounding abilities, I, I do think that you know the Sixers' offense is going to be a little bit challenged against uh, the Hawks because of that. That said, you know they they trashed the Hawks a couple times recently, so. Yeah, but they you know, had well, nobody think, healthy. Trey was definitely out for one of those games too. I think was Paul, for both? Bogdan was too. Yeah. No, I think so. He I think one I, of them. I, I think I think I think the Phillies should beat the Hawks, but it'll be interesting to see how they adapt to a center that that Joe can't just you know shove under the basket and dunk on their head. Yeah. And all right. So here, here's how you concluded your most recent piece: Are the Sixers good enough to win a title playing conservatively? Probably. This is a very good I went, team. I went, with, I went with a bold maybe, yeah. But but it's something that you I, – I feel like you tweeted it earlier in the year. They're like, they might be just good enough to win anyway, but they're, yeah. they do have this sort of ceiling that they're just not tapping. And I wonder if there are other teams left that you feel this is similar to. Like, don't you think Ben Simmons is their best player or, or second best player? And don't you think – that they're not getting as much from him as every other single team left is getting I mean, from their second best player. Sure, and I mean, look, I think he's as good as Joel Embiid. That's just that's just me. You know, I'm I'm surely in the minority of that, but I'm, I think they're on the same on the same tier. They are, in my opinion, both like top ten guys. They're not top five, maybe, but they're in that like six through 10, 11, 12. But they're 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 real superstars and. You know, you are correct that they are not getting superstar production out of Simmons. And, you know, in my opinion, that's based on his role. It's based on you know, surrounding personnel. It's based on scheme, you know, and to other people, it's that he doesn't want it enough, that he's this you know, mysterious entity who lacks confidence and aggressiveness. He's a I'm loser. Like, I, I, I don't I don't think so. And what I, but the thing about him that I like is that he's really consistent. And I know that will ruffle the feathers of people who, who who say that he's not. I'm like, look, when he has been put in position with a five that can spread the floor and given the ball, he always does the same thing. He's always good. He always scores enough to you know placate people who think that he should be scoring 20 some a game. He always creates for teammates and he always plays great defense. Like he, but when you put him next to Boban and Greg Monroe and Amir Johnson and Dwight Howard and Tony Bradley, he can't do those things. If you put someone in the paint, he can't go there. If I were to take devil's advocate, I would say there are plenty of games when Joel is active and in the lineup where he has moments to do this stuff 
but he doesn't do it. He he might do it when Joel is out of the game altogether and he knows he needs to drop like 20 plus maybe 30. Why is he think, not doing yeah. it randomly? Well, I think, you know, you looked at his numbers last year, um, you know, because Brett Brown obviously had more time with these guys and, and figured stuff out offensively and optimized them, you know, and men scored the same amount, maybe even slightly more when he was on the court with Embiid than when he was off. He, he scores more than people think when he's out there with Joe. Like his real problem, I mean, even, even look at last game, he didn't score well at all. He was shitty. But when he was out there with Joe, I think he was like three or four from the floor, you know, excluding him hoisting up a three at the buzzer. Um, and then he's out there with Howard. I think it was 0 of 4. Like you just see these splits with him constantly. He, he plays pretty well with Joe. I'm, I'm not really worried about his aggressiveness in looking to score aside Embiid because most of the other guys out there, all they can do is score. You know, Tobias but Harris. You're making me worried that he's going to see this and every night think, why do they keep doing this, man? I got to get <laughs> out of here. What are you doing to me? Well, again, he he is enough clout that he could say that, but I think he's a hundred percent bought in. He's like, I'm going to be used how they want me to. And he just doesn't feel the need to say, all right, give me the ball, move out of the way. I'm going to like, just shove Trevor Reese out of the way and like windmill dunk on him. Like he just doesn't, he doesn't seem to be like that kind of player. And, and, and maybe we could say, well, that's a, that's a deficiency of, of, of willpower. But now we're saying that we're mad at the player for not going against what his coach wants him to do. So that doesn't seem particularly virtuous in like the jock universe either, right? Yeah. Do you think that we could uh, reasonably criticize him for a deficiency of willpower? <laughs> Should we say I mean, like, come on, Ben, tell Doc, <laughs> tell Doc to do something that benefits you? I mean, kind of. Like you know, I don't want to. You can't criticize a guy for going along with the, with what the coach's basketball philosophy is, you know. But, no, but at the at, same at time, some point in the in the long run, in terms of their legacy, eventually you will you will say like he just wasn't as good as X, Y, and Z player. Right, right, yeah. I mean, because you look at how you know Tobias is much more eager to look for his own shot, and that's right. kind of dovetailed into a comfort zone, I think, with with Doc. And, you know, that last game, again, Tobias had a, was scored well. You know, end of the day, 37 points on 29 shots is good. It's good. It's not insane. It's not an incredible game. It's, it's good. That's basically his season-long scoring efficiency. He did his thing. But Tobias got the ball and was like, I'm going for it. E- even when it kind of was an expense of the team in the fourth quarter. Again, he went one of seven. Um, but he was going for it. And you're right. Simmons doesn't do that. He doesn't get the ball and, and wave people off and say, I'm not doing a dribble handoff to Seth Curry here. Go go stand in the corner. I'll pass you the ball, you know, when I'm in the paint. He doesn't. You're right. He does not do that stuff. Maybe he could. But it's hard to criticize a guy for playing within the role that the coaching staff has has put him. Do, do you miss Al Horford? yeah man Al Horford was good (laughs) so unfairly hated on (laughs) I mean he was good and he was good on OKC this year he's a good player yeah I I wonder if you had been in charge of the Sixers would they have wound up with Luke Cornett (laughs) yes (laughs) I mean they would have ended up with one of those shooters 
And who, um, and who else? Would you have Shabazz Napier? I mean, like, he hasn't he hasn't really done much lately, but I still think he's okay. But I, th- I I don't think the Sixers need more guys who do stuff. I think they need more guys who do less. And that's why I'm so bullish on lineups with Thibault. You know, I don't see why he's only played, you know, basically a handful of minutes next to Ben and Joe. Those are three of what? Top five, at least top 10 defensive players on the planet. And you don't play them together? I really liked the lineup last game where they were on the court for uh, three minutes, four, no, sorry, four minutes together. Ben, Joe, and Matisse. Um, some other guys kind of got swapped in and out. I think Green was out there a little bit. Um, uh, Hill. But that 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 trio was out there for four minutes. Mm-hmm. And they they ended the game. I mean, they were the ones who won the game. It was that three, it was that four minute stretch in the third quarter, I think. They outscored the Wizards 16 to 8 in the end of the game. Like I don't understand the concerns about the overall offense with T. Steibel. It's not a great offensive player. But the upside of his defense, just inserting that into the lineup, he played 13 minutes and had two blocks and two steals. Like you, you can't be playing him 13 minutes. Like he's too good. You would never do that if it was that kind of offensive player, but a you know a, a poor defender. You would never just put that guy on the court who's one of the best offensive players on the, in the world for 13 minutes. But they do it with Matisse a lot. It's kind of crazy, isn't it? <laughs> he's such a good defender. Yeah, watching him is almost weird. It's just like, I can't believe he did that again. Like, he's going to do that. When he checks in, you can think to yourself, he's going to do that within 15 <laughs> seconds, and he does. It's outrageous. Uh, you know, Zach Lowe had kind of talked about him teleporting around, but my favorite Matisse play of the year was the one where he doubled down in the post. Um, it might have actually been against the Wizards in the regular season. I, I, I forget exactly who, who the opponent was. But he checked down on the post, double teamed and harassed the big man who, and then into throwing a pass back out, which he almost intercepted and got a hand on. Then he like rotated back out to, and saw Tobias coming uh, to help, rotated back to the corner and then stole the pass again or blocked a shot. It was just crazy. He was basically in five different places causing havoc on the same exact play. Uh, you know, blocking a shot, doubling the post, getting into passing lanes, rotating out. I just don't see why he plays under 20 minutes a game. Like that kind of presence, you you can't replicate. And Would you me, that's how you him win into titles. these lineups with Ben more? Hell yeah. Hell yes, hell yes. If the Sixers were to advance and the Heat were to not, would you have any good narratives about Jimmy Butler? <laughs> uh, I don't think the Heat are going to advance. <laughs> doesn't feel great. I mean, as a Miami day one, you know, it's really hurtful. <laughs> do you do you tweet the um, Cookies hoops? Oh, no, that's the interns. That's the in- interns at yeah. Cookies, okay. Yeah, and, and they'll, they'll get less gruel, you can rest assured. But are they always going to hate Jason Tatum? <laughs> I mean, as long as he's being propped up by, a, you know, the, the foul Boston media mafia, they have no choice but to fight the good fight. <laughs> and ex- explain um, the NBA is just better when the Atlanta Hawks are good. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just, you know, the energy um, in the ATL, like walking around when, you know, the Hawks are, are relevant. You know, it, it's it's just different, you know, and you go to the Mecca down there. Um, 
do, do whatever you the Hawks stadium like, is called, like, the, the mecca of basketball. Yeah. <laughs> look at their like, you know, celebrity row. Everyone's out there. Um, all members of the Migos, et cetera. I wonder if Dwight misses his time there. I'm sure. Dwight, Dwight, he didn't play that long though. No, I, I'm not sure that they, I think he had Bud, right? I'm not sure that Bud used him all the time in those. Was it against the Wizards they were playing? Mm, that sounds about right. Something like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think, uh, I, I think the Knicks need to get game two here. So we can, you know, take a little luster off of Atlanta, like the who, you know, who basically the, the birth of basketball. For? Uh, Knicks. Yeah, the Knicks. Uh, I think and, the Hawks are. I think the Hawks are a, are a good team. I I would be surprised if they beat Philly, but that they don't. They don't look like a, a team that's going to be a, a total pushover when they're when they're healthy. And Philly does not have a great answer for Trey Young. And you know, like I'm a, I'm a Simmons defender, and I think we've. He's incredibly versatile, but Trey Young is one of the only guys that he can't really stay in front of. He's just too quick. Um, he's I know the numbers look pretty good when he's been on him in the past, but I don't I don't think they have anyone who can really stay in front of him. Granted, no team does, but yeah, Trey's one of the few guys that I just don't think the Sixers have a specific solution for with like one of their defenders. Do you is there someone in your life? who hears your most slanderous Simmons takes like maybe off the record, just like in the bathroom at three in the morning and you're just mumbling, like, come on, take a jump shot. Dude, you get all the, you get all the truth from me. (laughs) It's not, it's not a bit. (laughs) I'm, I'm, you know, a Simmons, a Simmons dedicated supporter, 24 hours a day. Simmons apologies. Just, just, you know, dust till dawn. Is he your favorite player? Um, I think he's a really interesting player. I if you were to win a fa- finals MVP, would you just end it? <laughs> I kill myself? <laughs> <laughs> or, 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 or just like, you know, pop the bottle and have ice cream. <laughs> um, sure, sure. Like root beer float. Um, <laughs> root beer float. No, no, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know if he's my favorite player. I, I think, you know, I, I, I love Tyrese Maxey. He, he's sick. I just think Simmons is the key to the Sixers like reaching that ultimate goal and to squander his talent, whether it's with, you know, poor fitting personnel around him or trading him for someone that's not that good will prevent them from achieving what I want them to do. You know, like I, I do not remember the Sixers winning in 1983, you know, and I've, I've been a Sixers fan my whole life. We've seen them go to the finals and, and, you know, with AI, I want them to win a title and I want them to win it with their guys, which is like at this point it's Ben and Joe. And is it, is it possible that, that you could wind up feeling like uh, Daryl Morey and these Sixers were just too conservative and not like analytically savvy and didn't maximize Ben, which would be so weird, right? But but we know they are analytically savvy. We know they understand basketball. We, we, We know all these things. I, it, I, I'm surprised that there has not been at least uh, a media effort to coerce an explanation <laughs> out, of, out of Doc. <laughs> you know, not you need, not to be hard on him, but like, come on, man! Do you? You're not, I thought we went through this. Why are Ben right. 
and and Dwight being played together. Why? What were you as, hoping as to get? As soon as Joel picks up his third foul, it happened, and and it wasn't yeah. great. Yeah, I mean, I think the Sixers media does a, a good job. Um, I know I admire those guys; They're good writers. Good, but it's it's strange that that just gets discussed a bit, but no one's really said, Doc. Why do you keep doing it? What the hell, man? Like, what point are you trying to prove? Maybe he's like, I just believe in it. I think they're going to get better. I think they're going to figure this out. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. If, if this was an episode of, of Mayor of Easton, it would be discussed with a G, not a C. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm very optimistic about the Sixers. I'm, I'm not trying to be a doomer. I hope that article didn't come off as being overly negative. I think all the pieces are there. And look, I, I was one of the people who said, I think the pieces are there when they had Ben, Joe, and Jimmy. I was like, this is a championship team. And people were like, what are you talking about? No, they're not. Just, they were. And now we know they were. And this isn't me being like, heed my warning. I'm saying these are <laughs> these are rare opportunities. You're not taking a lap? You can take a lap if you want. No, no. I'm saying these were – the Sixers had a chance to win a title that year, and they didn't. And then Jimmy left and that window closed. And then now they have another one right now and they have a good chance. They're healthy. They have the personnel. It's a well-built roster. 95% of the way it's a chance. And any little bit that diminishes from that opportunity is something that just bugs me. Right. (laughs) You know, seeing them use a lineup that doesn't work. Like I can't, it's what is it? You know, the itch that you can't scratch. It's like, come on, man. Don't let this come in between the things that you can't control. You can't control one of your stars getting hurt, like Ben being out for the playoffs last season. You can't control that. You can control who you put on the court. You can you can do that. And the controllable stuff is what always really grinds my gears. What are the what is the percent chance or or finishing up, but what is the percent chance in your mind? that there's some sort of conflict between Daryl Morey and Doc Rivers where maybe maybe Daryl presents this stuff to him. Hey, look, this lineup doesn't work, and he's not getting through. <laughs> I, I mean, I've never really heard of Doc being anti-analytics. I don't think they have a fraught relationship. I will say when they traded away Tony Bradley, you know, Morey did reiterate the idea of going small and you know even after the utah game there was discussion like okay well you know we can put dwight in the second unit and it like went back to putting tony bradley out there in the starting lineup i don't really know what the reluctance is i don't know if it's doc living in his fears i mean of course this is a defensive oriented guy you know he he played for the knicks under pat riley he won a title with the celtics on a team that had the best defense in the league, you know, anchored by Kendrick Perkins and Leon Powell and, and Kevin Garnett and, you know, a bunch of bigs basically. And he's used to having a weirdo point guard and he had Rondo. So, you know, I, I think doc is a guy who may be kind of stuck in his ways. And maybe he says, I just don't like watching small ball. I don't like it. It's not for me. I don't think we can defend that way. And the same way that you wouldn't put Dwight Howard and Embiid on the court together and no one could say, but yeah, but look at the metrics, say this. And you'd be like, nah, fuck out of here. No way. No way. We're not doing a twin towers of Joel Embiid and Dwight Howard. We're not doing it. 
and you but might just you know, refuse. They, the Lakers kind of did work with that, right? Didn't they? With the AD <laughs> at the four. I, over I would, I would, I would be okay with it if they tried it. I think they actually played it one game when they were missing a bunch of guys because of COVID. I think, um, we, yeah, I, I think we can I'd, find. I'd, a yeah, sample. give it a whirl. Yeah, but I, but I think the same way that we would say, uh, <laughs> let's not do that. It's not going to work. I think he may just look at, you know, more unique, weird high speed smaller lineups as kind of just an affront to his basketball worldview this is fascinating you're not going to get this type of content everywhere else do you do you think anyone has been tempted to ask him about the paul pierce wheelchair incident (laughs) yeah i mean paul pierce admitted it right so I guess Doc can speak freely. <laughs> I guess, but I don't think I don't think I've heard all year anyone ask him about it. <laughs> I, I haven't either. Um, I mean, the, the funniest thing about Sixers media, and I'm sure you've seen it with Liberty Ballers, is that like the price for putting up Simmons jump shot, um, vi- you know, videos and content, like it got follower interactions, got virality. But I look at the replies. You know, some of the Sixers beat writers. Why do you look at those? Now you're scrolling through and you're like, oh my God. <laughs> oh, holy hell. Just like the, the loose bowels of Sixers Nation. <laughs> like, like just such anger and hatred. I was like, yes, you got interactions, but at what price? I have I have these, uh, you know, you open your phone and you see like, so I got my Knicks fans and they're like, RJ Barrett and Randall are the MVP. And then the Sixers fans are like, Ben Simmons is the worst player I've ever seen. <laughs> you know, no, I can't really get into the demented peanut-sized brain of the Sixers hater fully, fully. But from what I can tell <laughs> is that people thought that he needed a jump shot. And they invested a lot of emotion and, and effort and time into voicing that opinion on the internet. A lot of, lot of time doing that. And they were proven wrong. You know, but they were also proven wrong about the other elements of that argument, which were about an adverse effect on Joel Embiid or um, spacing, half court offense, et cetera. And they were wrong about those things, and that's okay. You know, you can you can be wrong about basketball. It's all right. Nothing wrong with that. But instead of kind of realizing that things were not exactly as they thought them to be, and reevaluating you know, the game itself and how like this moving jigsaw puzzle works and what players can bring to the table and how, how this, you know, how the sport operates. I think they kept that same energy and effort and emotion and are now filtering it into like these smaller like vessels, these, these little arguments, they still have that same anger and rage. Like people freak the fuck out about Ben Simmons missing six foul shots. Is that good? Of course not. Going over for six from the line is bad. We, we all agree with that. But it's like that exact same intensity of Ben Simmons needs a jump shot for five years has like crystallized into the very internet idea of inventing a guy and being mad at him. Instead of they're like, here's a future scenario in which Ben Simmons loses a game, a crucial one, because of his lack of foul shooting. And now I'm going to be mad at him for it now. Like, but that didn't happen. Like, he's a 63% free throw shooter. Why aren't you screaming about other guys in that vicinity, which are like, I don't know, Russell Westbrook or Rudy Gobert or Clint Capella 
or Aaron Gordon. Like you've just invented a Ben Simmons who can't make any foul shots and you're yelling about him. Like that, that that's not a thing. Like who cares? He's a 63% foul shooter. Like Giannis is the same shit. Like he's, he's never lost a game because of his foul shooting ever for the Sixers. That, that was excruciating to watch Giannis the other day. Yeah, it, I mean, it was brutal. Some guys aren't good at foul shooting. Like it, it, it took is what me it is. right back to Carl Malone. Remember when he had like the eleven? <laughs> we were all wondering, like, are they going to call eleven seconds? Dude, I had been timing it even before that was called because I was watching it. I'm like, he's taking so long that I'm bored. So let me <laughs> let me use my little clock and I, I felt like i've done this before them i felt like i've gotten almost 12 seconds sometimes but when they cut to him you can't really see when he touches the ball and i was getting really annoyed during the game because i couldn't hit my stopwatch at the at the right time and it's crazy because once they called it then the refs were like you know what we're also now going to call all the normal travels <laughs> i love that they called it because he does take too long and he does it consistently and it's and it's boring I don't want to watch Giannis standing there staring at the at the hoop. I like it. It sucks, and I think you should be ejected for taking over ten seconds. Do you think they have any chance against the Nets? Uh, yes, the Bucks are really good, and I can't care that much about Brooklyn because they're still theoretical in so many ways. I think they could. Now you, you they might they might Brooklyn, just sweep right? everybody. It's yeah, like they Do might you, just sweep everybody. The the Brooklyn might be head and shoulders above any team in the NBA. That's t- a total viable outcome of these right. playoffs. I totally, totally. And we watch you're like, oh no shit, they have three of the best offensive players in history. <laughs> of course they won a title and just like whipped ass. Like <laughs> sure, totally possible. I also look at them like, yeah, but maybe they can't defend at all. And maybe the players are too redundant. Like there's there's a few different outcomes here in which the Sixers beat them or the Bucks beat them. I think those are totally possible. But on the other hand, they might just pull off a Moses Malone like fo fo fo. If I told you the Sixers were in the finals, who would you guess their opponent was? Oh shit! This year it's tough. Um, I think I think Phoenix is such a cool, weird contender. I, I just hope Chris Paul's shoulder is all right. I thought they were like an interesting dark horse that no one really respected. And they had some very cool lineups that they're putting like Dario out there at the five. Suns are, Suns are a cool, weirdo team. I think I'm also just not sick of them enough yet. So that's why I'm like against the Suns because the Lakers are kind of boring. You know, Utah is boring as shit. Um there's no other team that's like a really, I mean, Denver's cool. I don't know. I'm this is just wishful thinking. I, I like Chris Paul getting a chance. It, to I mean, Joel Embiid being guarded by a whole game of DeAndre Ayton, Frank Kaminsky, and Dario. <laughs> He's so fun. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, they also showed that they can convince the Sixers to embrace some of their worst instincts, though, because. They have a very good defense, and they're very good at preventing threes. They coaxed the Sixers into a lot of mid-range jumpers when they played. Philly only took like 20 threes that entire uh, Phoenix game, which they lost. And that was like a healthy Sixers team. It was one of their only like legit losses the whole year. And maybe their last like big game, right? 
I can't remember the last important one they played, but Joel. Yeah, that was, full that, court was that was. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm kind of rooting for Phoenix. So that, that my prediction is just what I want. All right, start start plugging stuff. Oh, well, Cookies Hoops, the world's most influential basketball podcast. No disrespect to, to yours, which is also very influential. <laughs> um, yeah, um, you can check that out. It's on Patreon. We put up older episodes on uh, Apple Music, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get pods. It just drops like four or five days afterwards. So if you want the fresh takes, you can subscribe. It's a measly $50 a year. Also gives you some uh, early access to our merch, which is like hats, tees. Um, there's some good stuff up there. Crewnecks, um, tote bags. Yeah. So I'm a, that, that's I'm all the stuff proud, I have to plug right I'm now. I'm a proud cap wearer. So anytime I do a, <laughs> do a feature or someone wants to put me on camera, I'll wear my cookies hoops hat. Oh, you, you love to see it yeah. on Zoom. Um, also, there's going to be a project that Andrew Quo and I are putting out this fall. going to be vague. So this is like a teaser for a teaser, but we'll be announcing what it is in the next couple of weeks. So you don't have long to wait if you give a shit. All right. Great stuff. Appreciate it. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure to talk endlessly about the Sixers, which I can't do on my own podcast. <laughs> because there's too much Knicks and need to discuss Mayor of Easton. Yeah. And art. Pretty, we got to argue about Andrew Yang. I mean, there's plenty to cover. I can't just get a, a solid hour and five minutes of, of Sixers content after, you know, a nice Mayor gonna, of, of Easttown discussion. I'm going to say this in the intro, but I think that your most recent post was easily one of the best posts of Sixers content I read all year. And I would love for Doc to get as freaky as you're suggesting. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, thanks. That's 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 high praise. Um, I, you've done great work this year too. I think you've pointed out some um, some really interesting trends uh, about the Sixers, and I, and I think I share your thinking on a lot of those ideas. Like I I'm I'm with you on your catchphrase. Let Ben cook. Oh, my, uh, much appreciated. I stole that from the Seattle Seahawks. They're, but also like got you know, like a being top named, five quarterback and they just never throw the ball so and, and being named myself ben i just feel like it's very it's a very wise slogan for right? everyone to adopt right it's just an underutilized guy in so many ways <laughs> we talk about me ben simmons benny the butcher you know just it's goes just on yeah on. it's all of it yeah it's all all bens let them cook <laughs> all right man thanks so much for coming by i appreciate it Six yes thanks for having me later man later